you got to be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. When I was in college, I, I can vividly remember the day um, that I was on the phone with the beautiful girl who had become my wife. And I was telling her about my week and my life, and I was taking way too many credits. I was working after school. And let's be honest, guys, you know who I am. I didn't go home and study on Friday night. <laughs> right? So, so I was talking to this gal and telling her, um, you know what would be super cool is if I didn't have to sleep. If I could just cut. See, there's this giant time suck in my life that happens every day. And, and if I could have one wish, I would just eliminate my need for sleep. Now, I wasn't like altruistic and like, wouldn't it be so cool if we just like eliminated everybody's need for sleep so we could all just work real hard and get stuff done? No, I want eight hours of prep work ahead of you. I want the advantage and the head start. And I was like, man, how cool would it be if I didn't have to sleep? Well, fast forward about five years later, and I had a bit of a health crisis as I moved up from, I'd just done this adventure in Phoenix, Arizona, moved up my first winter back in the Willamette Valley. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a difference in the weather in Phoenix, Arizona and the Willamette Valley in February. And my body actually without the vitamin D without like seeing the sun, like my circadian rhythm got thrown off to the point that I was only sleeping three hours every other night. And that's bad news, right? Like everyone's like, Andrew, you, you call a doctor. And I eventually did and I should have a lot sooner. But so this was a crazy situation for me. Here's the interesting thing, okay? That thing that I was like, man, I, I really wish I didn't have to sleep and then I got my wish and I became a shell of the person that you all know and love so much, <laughs> right? I, I did. I, I was a zombie. I was not the, the person I wanted to be. And I thought, I was like, if I could just eliminate my human limitations and this need to sleep every night, then I would just be so well-liked. I could party all the time. I could accomplish everything. I would be the man I want to be. And I stared my human limitations in the face and I realized that maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's a blessing from God because I can tell you that the inability to sleep is pretty damaging. It's hard. It's tough. And maybe you've wrestled with your human limitations in certain ways. Maybe something happened that caused you to come face to face with your mortality, which I'm sure is the optimistic, happy message you wanted to hear this morning. But, but, but we do. We are limited creatures. Did you know you can only be one place at one time? Okay, now you laugh at that. But if we look at our calendars, have you ever double booked yourself? Yeah, there was one time I was having coffee with a friend. He invited me to do something I really wanted to do. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And so I was like, hey, Siri, I had a meeting in my calendar at this time with this guy. And Siri went, you have three other meetings scheduled at that time. <laughs> now you guys know why I don't return your texts, OK? That's, no, but we're limited human beings. We can only 
focus on one thing at a time. Multitasking is actually a lie. Even though you say you can do it, what the brain is actually doing is just swapping them really, really quick, back and forth. We are limited. And how do we feel about those limits? Do you, do you like that about yourself? I, I haven't. I, I don't. When I look at my bank account, when I look at my calendar, when I get off of a really long work day, and it's at that moment when the high schooler is willing to open up and share their life, I'm like, I wish I had the emotional energy, but I'm depleted, I'm limited. And we live in a culture that doesn't value limitation. We don't value those things. We, we don't, like, this was a lie. We said, if you work from home, it'll be so luxurious. And now we learned, if you work from home, you never don't work, because you're at home. And sometimes working from home sucks, because you're like, I want to leave work at work. And then it's crazy when we do install limitations, the number of people that I offended by telling them that I turned off my phone for a certain amount of time, and everyone's like, you were not on call for me? I might have needed you. Did you? No, but that doesn't change the equation. <laughs> we're limited, and we don't like our limitations. We have like all these YouTube videos about how to maximize and, and do this and, and put a workout and do all the exercise, everything you gotta do. We try to figure out how to expand our sense of self into the world. And very rarely do we say, you know, uh, Phil in accounting, he's a great guy because he's so dependent on everyone around him. He's so cool. I want to be like him. No, we name our towns Independence, Oregon, not Dependence, Oregon. <laughs> we don't want to depend on anybody. Well, here we are in this overflow series. Um, and, and we are working on making some shifts, okay? We are working on making a shift to refocus on generosity. In uh, 2024, what kind of people do we want to be? And maybe um, you had some resolutions. Maybe some of you are the high performers who have kept their resolutions. The rest of us, it's okay. We can still do a lot of good things in 2024. But let's, let's think about this. What kind of people do we want to be? and refocus on generosity. We want to make a mindset shift from scarcity to abundance. This is what scarcity looks like. When I was in um, high school, teenager, there were three teenage boys in my house. And here's what happened at the dinner table. My mom would put the food in the middle of the dinner table, and then we would take the big helpings and scarf it down, because the first person to finish is the first person to get seconds. And and that's how we live our lives. We know there's a limited amount of beef stroganoff in the center of the table, and so you gotta grab and shut down as much as you can. Well, then I went to a college with a cafeteria. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you go to the college of the cafeteria and you go up for seconds, they don't say, well, did your brothers get enough? They say, okay, you go. You go up for thirds. They say, okay, here you go. You go up for fourths. Your buddies are like, yeah, you're the man. And then later you're like, I am not the man. Like that's, that's how it goes. But this, this mindset of do we have enough? Because we live in a world 
where we get sucked into the rat race of scarcity. And the biggest mindset shift that we want to make this year is that we are blessed by a generous God so that we can be a blessing. So that we can move forth, like put generosity and goodness out in the universe. I have been to the Dead Sea in Israel. Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It only takes in. It never pours out. The salt content is it will kill anything that gets in it because all it does is suck in. It never gives out. And God built us to receive and then pour out. And, and maybe you look at that, maybe you've been in this series okay, with us and you're like, man, generosity, it's a great thing, um, but I live in the real world. And maybe you keep hearing us say overflow, overflow, overflow. And then you look at your bank account, your calendar, your emotional energy. You come to the end of a day, 7 p.m., and your kids are like, mom, mom, mom. And you're like, where's the overflow? If we were to really talk about where I'm at, like how about we have a sermon series that's about where I'm really at, and maybe it's not overflow, maybe it's overwhelmed. Can we do that series? Because that's what my life feels like. I'm overwhelmed. And we've already established we don't like our limitations. We dislike them. But what if our limitations are an invitation from our generous, loving Father God to shape us into the people he wants us to be? What if our limitations are part of the blessing? Let's pray. Father God, we are your kids, we are here, and God, I pray that your spirit would meet us where we are at. God, I pray that you would go before us in 2024 and accomplish what you want to in our life. Jesus, I invite you to change me. I invite you to make me uncomfortable, and I ask you to provide for me. And give me the things that I need. And God, this is a blessing I ask for myself before our church. That we would be people who honor you. Even in our limitations. In your name, Jesus. Amen. What if our limitations are an invitation? An invitation for us to realize that we are dependent on God. That he is the creator. And we are the creation that he made us, and maybe he gave us our limitations on purpose, because we got lots of them, all right? My three-year-old daughter is trying to figure out how high she can jump, and she's learning that there's a limit to human verticality, okay? And some of us, like, we know that we have to keep breathing. Take a deep breath, nice soothing, cleansing breath, and please keep doing that through the whole message, okay? That's... We need sleep. We need a day off. And that's built into the fabric of who we are. And maybe God did that on purpose. How many days of creation are there? Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world. There's a big story in the Bible. How many days of creation are there? Six. You Americans. How many days of creation are there? There's seven. There's seven. God makes, right, light, dark, all stuff. 
And then on the seventh day, he rests. Why did God rest? He was tired. Eh, Maybe. He doesn't seem to need sleep the rest of the book, right? But there's, there's something in there. So God, now here's, here's an interesting thing. The Hebrew name God Almighty, El Shaddai. Some of the rabbis have thought about this and said, well, maybe a possible way to translate that is not just God Almighty, but the God who knows when to say enough. The God who knows when to say, that's enough, I'm done. Now that is, and I promise, even though you are a 21st century American, enough is not a curse word. But in advertising, we would think it was, right? Like, you've never seen the ad that's like, you have enough stuff. Stop buying it. (laughs) Amazon never gives us that, like, you're done now. It's okay. No. That's not the cycle that we're on. But our good God when he was creating everything and put the world together, he put this idea of taking a day off and resting into the rhythm. And so do you know why you get frazzled when you never take a day off? Because you just don't believe in God. You're not following him. Better take a day off. And, and not to get all like legalistic or bent out of shape on this, this is what Jesus said about the Sabbath. Because in Jesus' day, they had managed to weaponize it and control people with it. And Jesus said, the Sabbath, or man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Our limits are a gift from our good, great God. And so maybe next time you're frazzled, or tired, or at the end of your rope, instead of being like, I'm so overwhelmed, you're like, God, you're so great. Thanks for letting me not be enough right now. And maybe, You don't return that phone call or you don't return that email. Or maybe you ask yourself the question as you log on to do one more little test and you pull out the computer on the dinner table and you go, is this taking me closer to the heart of God? And some of you are like, Andrew, be real, okay? Am I taking me closer to the paycheck my boss needs to give me? Like that's, we live in a real world. And I understand that. We live in the real world. Because what what is described in Genesis 1 and 2 is perfection, lack of evil, because what happens in Genesis 3? It all hits the fan. Like, that's what happens in Genesis 3. And we live in a broken, fallen world where sometimes we've experienced not enough. That's why we have this mentality. Because we know if we don't pay the rent, we get evicted. If we don't pay for the food, we starve to death. Like, that's kind of scary. Welcome to adulthood. Okay, hang on. But this is, this is true. This is what we live in. And so we ask the question, God, will I really have enough? And unfortunately, no follower of God has ever asked that question. We're just completely on our own. No answers. No! This is what, this is what God says to the people of Israel. When they ask him the question, they are afraid. They say, we do not have enough. In Exodus chapter 16... This is when God's people, they've been freed from Egypt. They're out of slavery. They should be partying and wahoo, this is great. But now they're invited to the long obedience of following God in the day-to-day. And there's no Red Seas getting parted. Here's what they do. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us into the desert to starve us to death. Oh, man, I wish we were back in slavery to Egypt. God, why'd you give me responsibility for my life? And, and I understand, like, they're hangry right now. And the theological definition of hangry is the state you're in when you have to apologize to your wife for what you said when you were hungry. That's, that's hangry. And they're hungry. They're like, we need food. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. And do you remember the rest of the story? They go out the next morning, and God has created a nutritious, maybe it was keto, Captain Crunch that's all over the ground. And I'm not even joking. That's the story, guys. And they come in, they gather it up, and you're only supposed to gather enough for one day. And they gather it up, and they shove it in jars, and some of them, and I know, I know, that there's always that kid in youth group, right, that's going to do this. And they gather it up, and they put it in a jar, they put it in the back, and they say, I'm going to hang on to this. And the next morning, when they open up the jar, what happened to the manna? It's gross. It's rotted. It's maggoty, disgusting. And God put this rhythm in place for them where he said, trust me for today. That is enough. And so if you are looking at your life and you look at your calendar and you're like, man, I don't have enough emotional energy to get through February. Neither do I. That's okay. Because we're not in February. It's still January, guys. And does God have enough faithfulness to show up for us on January 28th? When Jesus is trying to teach his followers, well, what does it mean to have a good prayer life? He uploads this foundational story because he says, pray this way to God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't give us tomorrow's bread. That's not what it says. But as Americans, that's what we want. We're like, we go to Costco. Costco, hallowed be thy name. Give me tomorrow's bread. Like, that's what we do. And there's something... There's something about this dependence relationship. We breathe in, we breathe out. There, there's a book I read when I was a kid um, called The Horse and His Boy, and in that there's a God character. And they're like, okay, so if he already knows what I need, why does he make me ask for it? If, if the God already knows, and I, there's this one moment where a very wise horse, and don't, don't let that hold you up, but there's a very wise horse, who looks at the boy and he says, well, I think it's because he likes to be asked. And I can tell you, as I think about like my daughter running around through the house, and we do this all the time where she's like, dad, I need milk. Can you say that with a please? Please have milk? Yes, here you go. Like that's, and I wonder if in our relationship with God, there's something where he likes to be asked. He likes to give, but he also knows what's good for us. And so maybe the answer to the question, do I have enough, is found in the daily presence and blessing of God. 
Because that question, do I have enough, am I enough, will I be enough, that is a question that we've been wrestling with for years. And if we're just really honest, I think all of us at some point when we were on the playground, and we were in first grade, and there were third graders on the slide, and we walked up to them, we were asking the question, am I enough? Will I hold muster? Can I, can I be accepted in this group? And that was a very scary situation. Now, you know, if you're an adult now, and you're like, I don't know if the third graders will let me go down the slide, like, maybe that's developmentally not the most scary thing for us. But at the time, man, am I enough? And then we fast forwarded, we walked into classrooms and we sized up the teachers and we're like, okay, am I enough to get the good grade? We asked the question at the dinner table with our parents, am I enough to really make you love me? Am I actually enough? And that's a scary question. Am I enough to attract and keep a spouse? Am I enough to make it through? And unfortunately, this isn't the easy answer to that question, but when you pick up that rock that says, am I enough, and you turn it over, there's another question staring you in the face that says, well, what do you mean by enough? What do you mean got what it takes? And then we get to wrestle with that. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now we get to talk about values. And now we get to talk about what really matters to God. And this is where it can get really scary because I've looked this in the face. And do you know that God does not value the same things I do? Not at the same level. Netflix does not rank very high on his list. And maybe I'm on a, I'm on a limb right now, but I, I feel pretty safe to say Netflix does not rate very high. The how many inches your TV is, they, they never ask you that question when you get to heaven. I don't know, maybe we do, but I, you can all just look at Andrew and be like, that wasn't on the test, this wasn't a study guide. But I don't think so. I don't think God looks at how many zeros are in the bank account and goes, are you doing things right or not? God values things differently. And that scares me, but the more I live in it, the more at peace I become. Because it allows me to let go of some things. Because God doesn't define success the way I do. God seems to care more about love and faithfulness and integrity. And what matters to God is your heart and who you are becoming more than the stuff that we have. And then we get to ask, is that reflected in our hearts? Is that the way we're making the decision? Because we do live in a world where things get scary sometimes. Sometimes there's not enough beef stroganoff to go around. Like, that's, that's the reality. So what do we do? If only there was a story in the Bible about someone with their back against the wall where God does something. Let's look, 2 Kings chapter 4. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha, and she cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know that he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come 
threatening to take my two sons as slaves. She's like, I did everything right, and the system failed me. I did all the right things. My husband was like one of your sidekicks, Elisha. Elisha's the prophet. He's supposed to be the good guy. But I'm in a bad situation. I do not have enough. Verse 2, Elisha says, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked, tell me, what do you have in your house? And her answer is nothing except. Think about that for a second. How often is that our answer? What do you have? Nothing except my closet full of stuff. Nothing except the four, four wheels that I use to get to work every day. He says, what do you have? And she says, nothing except a flask of olive oil. And I don't know why this is the way that God works, but I think he just does like it to go, okay, what do you have? Let's start there. And so Elisha tells her, he says, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you and pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So picture this, they go home, they go to all the neighbors, they're banging on the doors, and they're like, do you have any empty olive jars? Empty olive oil jars, we need the empty ones. And I bet you some of the neighbors are like, I know where you're at, I think you could use some full ones. Like, but, but they want the empty ones. And so they're on the hook, like what happens if this doesn't work? That's kind of embarrassing. They're like, I need these empty jars. They gather it together, and she takes her little flask, which is not a lot, little bit of olive oil and starts pouring it into the empty jar. And when she pours it into someone else's jar, what happens? It fills up. It doesn't run out. And then they fill up another jar. Then they fill up another jar and another jar and another jar until everything's full up. And I wonder, like, was the flask more full than before? I don't know. Was it empty? Are they like, we're like, we are never getting rid of this flask. <laughs> this is ours now. But with what they had, by being faithful and pouring out in what little she had. Guys, I, could, I just can go sit down. This story preaches itself. God shows up when her back is against the wall, when she's overwhelmed, when she doesn't have enough, and God works in what she already has. And then she shares it with the neighbors and gets paid. So capitalism right there. No, I don't know. But like she sells the oil. God provides for her. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. That's prophets. There are no bald prophets for you to go talk to after church because I don't see Jeff anywhere. But uh, and then, ooh, sorry. Woo! So, uh, but let's look at what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. Chapter 25, he's like, okay, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? The kingdom of God looks like a king that gives a bunch of bags of gold to some servants. And he says, your job, I'm giving this to you, your job is invest it and do something with it. And he goes on the big long trip and he comes back and everybody comes in to give the report on what have they done with it. And some people are like, look, I invested it. And then it became more. And he says, good job. And then another guy's like, so I kind of didn't trust what you were going to do. I know that you're not a very nice person. So I buried it in the ground, and here it is. That's it. 
He says, you wicked servant. The mission was invested. The mission was do something with it. Start a lemonade stand for crying out loud. Like, do something. And then he looks at the other servants and they're like, so that thing that you gave me, I put it to work. I was faithful with it. And verse 23, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And so the mission is not to make a fortune. The mission is not that we're going to have a whole heck of a lot of stuff right now to deal with. The mission is about faithfulness with what is in our hands. What do you have? Nothing except. And then you fill in the blank. Nothing except this. Nothing except what you gave me, God. Faithfulness is about love and trust with work boots on. It's about putting it into action. Believing that we have a generous God who's going to give us enough. And then actually doing that hard work of pouring out. Filling the cups of other people around us. And so the big question that I want to ask, and I think what maybe we could be wrestling with, is what does it look like for us to be faithful in 2024? What are the, like, what's the little flask of oil that you got at home, and maybe nobody knows you've got it? I'm not actually talking about a literal flask of oil, I promise, okay? Like, what is it that God's given you, and you're like, well, I don't know that this could amount to much, and God's like, oh, buddy, you wait and see. You be faithful with that. You start with what little you have, and you watch me show up. And so what do you have? Do you have a gift? A talent? Do you got something that everyone's like, man, you're gifted. No, I'm just loud. <laughs> Are you gifted? Is there something you can do that maybe no one else can do? And are you sharing that? Are you blessing? Are you pouring into someone else? Do you have a heart for something? Maybe no one else sees, nobody else cares about it, but you see. It matters to you, it matters to God. And day in, day out, you see it, and you're like, somebody should do something about this. Somebody should do something about this. And at some point, maybe God's like, hmm, I wonder if somebody will do something about this. Do you have scars because you've been through something in life? Have we wrestled with a deep sadness? Have we lost something? Have we overcome an addiction? And does God want to do something with that? Are there other people to help? Are there things that are unique to you because you know what happens when you have a gift and a heart and scars? You have a story. You have a story to share. Because testimony is your story. That's a big churchy Bible word for the way that God has showed up in your life. And when Andrew Bullock's back was against the wall, this is how God showed up. That's testimony. Gospel is the big good news that God showed up for everybody. And that can be true for you. That can be true for your neighbor. That can be true for everyone. Like we just, at a foundational level, as a church, we take communion and we believe that a generous God gives us enough. 
He gives us enough grace. He gives us enough love, even if we didn't get it through the sources we thought we wanted to. God gives us enough. We're going to take communion during this next song. And one of the things I love about the way that we do communion around Dallas Church is that at some level, we have to get up and receive. We have to get up and go and grab the little plastic thing that at one point in time resembled grape juice and bread. And we take that because we know that as the people of God, we need his grace. We need his forgiveness. We need his provision. We are dependent on him. And next week, I will invite you to take communion again because you will still be dependent on him. Maybe you're here for two services. I would still invite you to take communion again because we will always be dependent on him. Let's pray. Father God, would you be there for us? Would you show us what we need to pour out? Would you show us what we have? Would you be there for us and give us daily bread when we feel like we don't have enough? Jesus, help us be faithful. Help us be people that do what it is that you call us to and that the overflow of our lives makes a difference in the lives of people we love, people you love, people we need to learn to love. Amen.